0: Welcome to Advocation Change It Up, a new podcast series hosted by Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the USF College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab.
1: Hello and welcome to Advocation Change It Up, the podcast series of the University of South Florida College of Public Health Activist Lab. I'm Dr. Karen Liller, a professor at the College of Public Health and director of the Activist Lab, and I'm joined by one of our student advisory board members and one of my graduate assistants, Rolando Trejos. Hi, Rolando. How are you? Hello, Dr. Liller. I'm doing great. What about yourself? I'm fine. Thank you. The Activist Lab at the college prepares our students to be exemplary advocates and leaders in public health. And if you just Google us at our website, you'll see all the educational programs we do. We have boot camps, seminars, we do research on a variety of public health topics, and advocacy and work to assure our students have practice experiences in the community, at the state, and national levels. This podcast involves talking with public health leaders and advocates whose work has led to great improvements in public health. We will be talking in each podcast with guests on a particular public health issue, and we'll end each podcast by asking how we as the community can advocate for change. Today, I'm very excited to talk about our major event in the Activist Lab, our boot camp. Each year, the Activist Lab hosts an all-day virtual boot camp where participants from now all over the United States and world learn about how to be advocates and develop strategies for change. Each year, the boot camp focuses on a theme, and this year, it was mental health. In addition to learning about advocacy, policy, communication, and the topic area, we have an expert panel that responds to participants' questions and breakout groups, where participants work together to develop issue papers to present to legislators and advocates we have invited to provide helpful recommendations. Our breakout groups this year focused on mental health strategies in the schools, in the community, in prisons, and for veterans. To learn more about the boot camp, I've asked two of the breakout group presenters to discuss their group and their strategies. I would like to welcome Ivory Hayes and Janine Ashforth. Ivory helped present the recommendations for Group 3 on mental health in community settings, and Janine, whom is called Jinx presented on strategies to improve mental health among veterans in Group 4. So how are you, Ivory? I'm great, thanks, Dr. Lennar. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And how are you, Jinx? Doing just fine, thank you. Great. In addition, we have invited a leading mental health expert and professor in the USF College of Behavioral and Community Sciences, Dr. Jerome Gallia, who will discuss his expertise on the topics and his own exciting research. Dr. Gallia has previously been a podcast guest, and he was a speaker at this year's Boot Camp. So welcome, Dr. Gallia.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Before we get started with the strategy information, I would like to ask Dr. Gallia to provide some background information on the status of mental health in our country and what needs to change.
0: Well, thanks again for having me uh, back. Absolutely. On the podcast. You're uh, always welcome. Uh, I will keep accepting the invitations. You know, this is my passion. And anytime I have a, a microphone in front of me and I can talk about it to a wider audience, I, I, I jump at the opportunity. You know, um, this is a big question I'm being asked. I know. Um, and It's like a dissertation uh, question. It's, it's like right? a dissertation. Like so, <laughs> but I, I think that's not what you're asking for right now. Okay. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot, a lot about this in preparing, uh, for, for today's podcast. And I've been thinking, um, that, you know, we've all been experiencing this pandemic over the past right. couple of years. And although there have been, uh, uh, you know, uh, many many bad things that have come out of covid one of the one of the highlights i would say is that it has really placed a spotlight on um, mental health issues mm-hmm. in this country and also globally right um, it's both uh, it's both it's sh- it's has both created new uh, mental health problems but it has also really shined the light on existing mental health um, the state of the mental health mm-hmm. uh Problems and system in this country. So let me just start with a few uh, kind of fast facts. Globally, but this also then includes the United States, about one in five adults uh, aged 18 and above um, has some sort of uh, diagnosable mental illness. Wow. So we're talking about, you know, over 52 million uh, people. Mm-hmm. Um, and amongst all of those people, only about half. Get services. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many, many reasons for that. Um, some of them are structural, like you know access to insurance. Um, some of them is just there aren't any services available. Um, also, there are other issues like stigma, which prevent right. a, a major barrier. Um, if you look at serious mental illnesses. Um, So these are mental illnesses that uh, would include things like psychosis and and things that really um, affect people's ability to get along in life. We're talking about about 14 million adults. Mm. Um, And uh, although the treatment rate is a little higher, about 65% have access. Um, That's mostly because it's so severe that um, Mm -hmm. they can't, uh, you know, they are identified. And amongst youth, so these would be um, now. I'm looking at age groups between 13 and 18. Mm-hmm. The statistics are are similar. It's about uh, one in five, mm-hmm. um, and amongst those, only about half really um, access services. So uh, my overall message is, is: there is lots of uh, what I would call mental health morbidity. That right. is to say, any right. sort of you know mental condition, mm-hmm. but. V- relatively low access rate and so mm-hmm. we have lots of people that are kind of suffering in silence yeah. here yeah.
1: in some cases we never know probably so much of that are is an underestimate, right of how many cases there really are and to put That's it right. in perspective for the listeners one in five is twenty percent
0: twenty percent yeah
1: so twenty percent have it's these huge diagnosable and i'm homes. talking
0: about the u.s i mean uh, you know you know that m- much of my work is outside of the exactly, U.S. exactly um, right and in Peru, and and those numbers are up to eighty percent receive no act, uh, you know, don't have access or receive no services. So, really, what we're talking about, um, and the reason I started by mentioning COVID is, is that many many of these uh, existing problems were exacerbated by um, some of the measures that were taken to contain COVID, like, you know, lockdowns, social mm-hmm. isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I think I mentioned to you that during the first eight months of the pandemic, um, I volunteered at uh, Tampa General doing right. um, uh, counseling for people that had been hospitalized with COVID mm-hmm. and the anxiety that these folks uh, were presenting with um, being alone in a hospital right. um, or losing no loved contact. ones in the hospital, no contact being intubated, so mm-hmm. having, you know, a no. uh, breathing machine, yes, um, not being able to communicate, and then coming out and uh, from that experience. So it exacerbated these underlying issues mm-hmm. we had in this and, country. Yeah. And,
1: and for some, too, there's COVID continues to be with them, Yes, right? The long haulers. The long haulers, yes, right. Long syndrome, COVID. Long COVID, and, and so it seems like to not go away. So I wonder, in addition to those physical issues, if the mental health issues they were experiencing also continue, even though now they may be around family and it's a little different, absolutely. You know, I would think it would still be there.
0: Absolutely. You know, we're still trying to understand uh, this uh, this condition that we call it kind of long COVID, um, both from the you know physical and mental health side. What we know in the mental health side is that there's increasing evidence. Um, I won't kind of get into the biology around it, but what right. I will say is is that. Uh, you've probably heard this term cognitive fog. Yes. Um, in a th- fog. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is the idea that like I just can't get my thoughts together. Mm-hmm. It just isn't coming mm-hmm. together. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say even, you know, as someone who also had COVID um, in January, okay. uh, it helped. Uh, luckily, I was vaccinated and boosted. It I right. was only out for a couple of days. But mm-hmm. during the couple of days, forget it. Like, my uh, my thoughts were just kind of mush, okay. Um, okay. and so I can only imagine what it would be like right. for somebody who is kind with of sp- no
1: immunizations, no yeah. boosters, right? Yeah, and They're there are not. many
0: reasons. I mean, you know, again, there are many reasons why some people may not get vaccinated or can't get vaccinated. Yeah, sure. But the end result is is that um, we're start really starting to understand what this looks like. I th- the one last thing I would say about these long COVID, um, and this is I'm, I'm reading more about this is. Because there's no one diagnosis, Mm -hmm. um, people oftentimes are not believed. Um, And that, you know, uh, this, so this kind of goes into this, these other diseases like, uh, you know, uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and these other ones that are kind of hard to diagnose. If people aren't believed, or if they're, you know, othered or minimized, that compounds. Problem. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. And and you hear people say, oh, you blamed everything on COVID. Right. You know, or we're blaming everything now that's happening on COVID. But right. it it did, it had a real ramifications on the population. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're going to need to study this, Dr. Galia, for years to come. Absolutely. Years and years and years before we know and before we're comfortable in saying how this happened, why it happened, mm-hmm. etc Yeah. Yeah. So it is, I know from all of your research and things that I hope we have time to talk about later um, in the uh, podcast that you've done some great work in uh, trying to help people um, with not only diagnosed uh, mental health disorders, but also people that are just going through some problems in their in their mental health, right? This may not be a diagnosed um, disorder, but it, it may be just differences in feelings that they're having. They may be slightly depressed. They Going through some things and how people in the lay groups or lay populations can help. So I hope we can get to that. That's right. That's, I'd love to. Yeah. yeah, that's really exciting. So Ivory, let's turn this over to you now. Let's discuss what you learned in the boot camp where we learned all about mental health and what strategies for change did your group develop Based on communities and maybe what your next steps
2: might be. Hi, Dr. Lila. Thanks Hi. again for having me. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so as someone who is not a resident in Florida, I learned a lot about the state of mental health um, access in Florida. Yes. And I think Dr. Galera did a great job of just establishing the burden of mental health disease. You know, when there's some alarming statistics came out, where um, as many as eight million deaths each year considered achievable. Uh, mental disorders, mm-hmm. and one particularly alarming one to me was that the leading cause of death, the second leading cause of death in the age of 10 to 14 is suicide, yes. which I think if that doesn't get your attention, nothing will, you know.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: um, generally, we learned about just the shortage of mental health practitioners in Florida, and I think a statistic that came out was the ratio of population to mental health providers is 670 to 1, That's which right. can never be adequate in terms of just, you know, tackling that problem. mm mm-hmm. And, um, just when the group tried to dig into the determinants of, of the shortage, like why, why does it happen? And generally there is a large turnover in terms of the mental health practitioners. They tend to leave the state because there's a high demand based on, on the existing practitioners. And yeah. there's generally poor compensation for their work, mm-hmm. um, which of course in itself can be a, a trigger for mental health concerns, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the final thing that, that was particularly interesting to me is that the mental health services are largely privatized in the States. So um, if you don't have the money or the, uh, the resources to be able to access it, because it's not covered by Medicaid, that is a significant barrier in terms of access. And that's really mm-hmm. what we were tackling, access to mental health services in the, in the community. So those right. are the things that I looked, the, the main points that um, I was able to take home. Yeah. And in terms of the strategies that we developed, um, generally we wanted to focus on improving the working and living conditions of the providers because we okay. saw that that's the source of the problem, go to the source. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, we want for those that are already there, try to limit their patient load. We saw that 10 to 15 patients per day and we okay. had some members in the group who were practitioners who thought that might be a good um, figure mm-hmm. to support this better access, better care and, you know, prevent that burnout that the providers may feel. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we think expanding Medicaid um, to incorporate mental health yes, services is going to have a significant um, you know, impact, exactly, to improve access for those who may not be able to afford it. And of course, just some kind of compensation of funding, incentives, subsidies that we can offer to the practitioners. to, you know, incentivize staying in these states, and we thought housing subsidies in particular would be an a, um, attractive um, offer for yeah. them. Right. And yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. In- Sorry, no problem. And in terms of next steps, so interestingly, and this is not because of my influence, of course. um, Interestingly, because as you know, Dr. Lilla, I am a graduate student in the Masters of Public Health Program in Mm -hmm. USF. Mm -hmm. And three of of my courses this this year, my three group projects have been centered on some idea around mental health access. Right. Um, And I think that's encouraging to see that it's such a big focus. And and as Dr. Galea indicated, you know, the pandemic has really shone that light on the on the issue so if it's one good thing that team that's good um but in terms of just delving into what those projects so one focuses on access to particularly vulnerable populations we're focusing on the homeless population which has a number of unique challenges and of course a unique disadvantage in terms of access because we don't have the, the resources access to services that are um, privatized in the in the state. Mm-hmm. The other focuses on the Healthy People's twenty thirty objective of improving access to preventive mental health services in schools for adolescents and children, and we designed an uh, intervention around that. The last group project um, is focusing on pandemic burnout in healthcare workers, because um, In the pandemic, from the pandemic, yes. yeah, from the pandemic, yes. From the pandemic, yes. there's a significant problem, so We've been in, interviewing healthcare practitioners, particularly female nurses. Um, literature showed us that mm, particularly female nurses are, are, are affected. Okay. We've been interviewing them to get some insight as to their experience to design an intervention around that. So mm-hmm. it was really interesting to see Dr. Galea's work as well. Well, that's very
1: interesting. And I really loved your presentation and that presentation of your group, when especially the issue about access. Um, did your group think that that was doable? I mean, 10 to 15 individuals uh, a day, right, the workers are going to see. Is that what you said? Do you think that's doable? Yeah. Well,
2: the thing is because we, we played with a few numbers. Mm-hmm. And um, because we had some practitioners in the group, they would tell us, no, I don't think that's doable. That's too much. That's too little. Um, yeah. So that was that was like our our. Range that we thought would be most doable and most mm-hmm. capable, mm-hmm. um, based on their experience, thinking that that is possible. It sounded a bit high to me, but I think I will, you know, of course, be fair to the experts, the ones who have the experience who think, you know, right, that is doable. So, right, yeah,
1: well, thank you. That, that was absolutely great, and I'm sure Dr. Gallio will have some comments about things when we turn it over to him again a little bit later. Thank you so much, Ivory. We'll be back you with you so as well. Come. So, Jinx, okay. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. So Jinx, how about your group? What a huge issue now, mental health and veterans. And again, I'm going to ask you, what did you learn uh, from the boot camp? And But what strategies for change did your group develop? And what about next steps?
4: Right. Well, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Um, I got to meet people like the <laughs> panelists and like Ivory fellow students and things. So that was, that was incredible. Um, I learned like first, I've never been part of this. I'm new to the mm-hmm. MSPH in, in public health education, although I'm getting three other masters. Um, and <laughs> okay. the idea, which doesn't take longer and we than- we love education here. We think that's right. wonderful. <laughs> and I love paying tuition, so I'll be here forever. So <laughs> the <laughs> the idea is why why not specialize? Right. And so seeing kind of being new to the uh, public health college and seeing what you do, there was, I guess, kind of more of an outsider Mm-hmm. Um, point of view. So mm-hmm. I've been researching veterans the, the whole time. Right. So I was widowed by suicide up at Fort Bragg eight mm-hmm. years ago, okay. and I was like, all right, how do we solve this? Right. Because obviously I'm just going to walk in and solve it in two hours. Right. And walk back out. I'm from Boston. If mm-hmm. that. I'm a Boston Sicilian, so I thought mm-hmm. I could do that. Uh, it takes a little longer than that. But from you know, as we were just talking offline, from getting a psychology bachelor's mm-hmm. right after I was widowed to try and like get my arms around this problem. And finding out that there's a difference between the boot camp and the the activism mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the knowledge, mm-hmm. kind of like teaching is a completely different skill right. to research, right. and they kind of don't make that apparent until you're you're in it. There's a, an applied component that USF is actually really good at. So mm-hmm. I've taken a lot of um, tours through the anthro department. Oh yes. In terms of ethnography and yes, and excellent courses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you follow the problem and you bring it to some place like the boot camp, mm-hmm. and you have a group of people like I was in for the breakout room in the second half of the, the day, you realize that your research is not known, like you're so close to it, right? right. And then for me, and maybe you know, for people who are, are professional educators, they're used to this. But once you kind of get out of your silo, right? So here I am in awe of people, new, brand new, first semester, mm-hmm. right, first year in the public health, and there's all these people I look up to, there's doctors, mm-hmm. there's people who are in the trenches every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm in the library every day, uh-huh. right? <laughs> but I have this lived experience and right. Anthro has taught me how to code how that. To, how to right. move that in, yeah. Right, and so then I find out that I'm in like the, the best applied program mm-hmm. and all these people mm-hmm. are in this boot camp to learn how to put it into gear. Put it into and action. Yeah, I'm yeah. super excited about that. So I'm like, all right, so we all know all this stuff about veterans, and I'm facing like 25 doctors, you know, M.D.s who are like, no, we don't know that about veterans. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, OK. So my group is like, how do we they're learning right then that we have the the largest veteran population, fastest growing in the country. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. learning the 22 suicides a day. They're mm-hmm. learning the, the sure. facts and figures that we live with um, who are in this space. And they're like, oh, wait, I had that one veteran come in and I didn't get it until right then. So watching yeah. the light bulbs go off like during the boot camp and realizing that this is what it's built for, this is Mm -hmm. what this container is built for. And then being like, you know, patting myself on the back for being part of the College of Public Health (laughs) because I want to do more of this, right? (laughs) So we were able to affect kind of a a rapid intervention. Mm -hmm. And a couple of people spoke up and said, well, wait, I think that the families around the veterans Mm -hmm. are really the first line of defense. We're talking about PTSD like you can pluck it like a weed out of the mind of the veteran and then we're done. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 you're, you're going to have these like other effects, ripple effects. Sure. So, can we ripple back in? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. can we have interventions using technology? Can we have, <laughs> I was about to say pagers, that's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> can we have text messages? You know, and when you're in the space, you're like, oh yeah, Cope Notes, because one of my degrees is mm-hmm. going to be in entrepreneurship. Right. So, Cope Notes is this founder who did a startup on mental health using cell phones. Why don't we do that? Well, when you've been in the hospital space, you don't necessarily know about the startup space. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. to me, it's like being a generalist, right? Which is one reason to get four masters instead of one siloed PhD is like, well, they're doing that in the building two blocks over. So why don't we go walk over there? Mm -hmm. And I think that the boot camp. um, So when I learned about the boot camp Mm -hmm. and all these people like Ivory, you know, come together doing amazing things. And that kind of bridges the silos. So I'm like, yes. And then we're like, okay, let's do this intervention. And we come up with it. Rapidly, right there. Right. It's being done. It's been done. So then we get back into the application. So if we can spontaneously, in like two hours, come up with the same intervention in white paper, then what do we do to do it? Right. Right. And exactly. so that's that's kind of the. Mm-hmm. So to do all of that, um, and then learn that some of the effects are political. Mm-hmm. To learn that leadership is also a different skill set then research, then his mm-hmm. teaching, then his writing. Mm-hmm. And so you do kind of need to be a, a jack of all trades, chill of all trades. Mm-hmm. So I got to talk to uh, Congresswoman Castor yes. at a roundtable on Friday yes, through this boot camp. That's
1: right. And, and, and by the way, Congresswoman mm-hmm. Castor uh, from, uh, in the U.S. Congress has been a great friend of the Activist Lab and great friend of USF uh, College of Public Health. And she always speaks at every boot camp I've ever had. You know, she always presents a really inspiring message. And she was at the last boot camp uh, talking about mental health issues. And then, yeah, Jinx had a chance to follow up with her.
4: Well, right, and so, you know, there's the there's the research. So there's having a, an acute problem, which eight years ago I was a widow. Mm-hmm. Pow, go, yes. right? And let's learn how to fix this. You get into psychology, okay, we have the answers. So what's the, what's the chasm mm-hmm. between the known answers and these people that we know are dying at a rate of 22 a day, which has right. been revised to 20.5. Right. So hooray for those one and a half people, but 20 and a half is still <laughs> a lot. Still,
1: yeah, a day,
4: yeah. Right. So if we have the answers over here mm-hmm. and we have the people over here, and I don't think it's much of a different problem than having the answers in entrepreneurship or business mm-hmm. and having them be two whole blocks in mm-hmm. a you know mm-hmm. an intersection way. So how do we build these bridges? So having uh, Representative Castor's assistant Stay all day mm-hmm. in that boot camp, mm-hmm. and then call me the day you know Thursday, last Thursday, the day before this roundtable. We're having a roundtable on veterans' issues, and because you were a student who decided to take mm-hmm. a Friday and jump into this thing, <laughs> we got to hear you, and we didn't know a lot of that stuff. Right? Can you now talk to a policymaker with other policymakers?
1: Which is fabulous because that's a lot how advocacy works, right? That's how you do it. You have you network. You have to network. You have contacts, and you go out there, and that's how you continue to make change. The um, staff member uh, with for uh, Representative Castor, her name is Marcia Magia, and I just wanted to mention her because she too comes to every one of our boot camps yeah. and actually is one of our uh, individuals who works with a boot camp, like she worked uh, uh, with some of you, and uh, works with the folks in the boot camp and gives them some great feedback, because she's right there, right there in the middle of yeah, political she was, she political was amazing, yeah.
4: yeah, and so you find out that that's another skill that you need, So. Mm-hmm. You know, I go into a room, and you know, I'm I'm not from here. I'm I'm brash. I have a certain skill set, and I grew up on military bases. Mm-hmm. And you come in, you realize that you have to be very, very aware. And Anthro does this really well, mm-hmm. of where you're situated, mm-hmm. like what what intersection are you mm-hmm. landing on, and mm-hmm. what can you do on the kind of like that city block, right, to move this forward, because it has to be a team. And I think that that's also one thing that the boot camp really, yeah. You know, so having this outsider view. By the second or third one, I'll be like, oh yeah, this again. I'm sure, but. You know, looking at it and having Rocia be like, no, that's really interesting. And being like, oh, who are you? And then asking her, "Yeah, so maybe that's the ethnography. How did you get it? It must be awesome to, to do this every day right. and actually be there, right. Right? right? So what surprises me is how everybody is like eternally six years old. Like a lot of the MDS who I was in awe of needed mm-hmm. to be drawn out, and then right. they're like, "Oh yeah, of course I have." Because the they're in their own
1: specialty area, mm-hmm. and they don't, you know, and and you you and then they can bring that into what they do. That's mm-hmm. why it's so important to reach out across right healthcare across the areas. So talk a little bit about your intervention though, and mm-hmm. and what you came up with, and what you see maybe some next steps for it.
4: Sure. Um, so I wound up being. Uh, by default kind of the loudest person in the room and I'm, I'm learning <laughs> to I'm the quietest one in my Sicilian family so being an introvert is kind of weird <laughs> that it's so but um, I kind of became the de facto leader based on I think also a lot of my own research so positive psych at uh, University of Pennsylvania is mm-hmm. is doing a lot of this kind of um, data mining and natural language things and mm-hmm. so I said well could we do something with that where you see what the texts are doing, or you you kind of mine what these people are saying, because there are there are words and there are trends that you can see people getting more depressed. Can we also see what that does to the families? Can we like monitor the families with their permission, of course, and can we intervene mm-hmm. through this personal handheld device? And a lot of the the MDS, a lot of the other people in the room, people had come to the veterans um, breakout room out of curiosity, right? A lot, mm-hmm. and so they were they were there learning, and I was glad to get that out. But the intervention that we talked about was, was basically how do we, how would we make an app? How would we use the handheld technology to actually reach the families as well as the veterans? Right. So, I I mean, I think uh, Dr. Mazies has left. Um, yes. But Tony Mazies did that um, very rapidly, didn't mm-hmm. he? In like a, a week or two with a group of his students. Mm-hmm. Like, so obviously we can make an app. Yes. Um, if the political will and the, the grant money is there, I don't think it would take very long at all. Right. So no,
1: no, a lot of people, and and Dr. Gallio will talk about his research. He's got some <laughs> great information about that, one of my favorite part of his presentation uh, at the at the boot camp. So yes, having, a, having an app, having something, but I loved this, what I loved about this group was the fact how you brought in the families. You know, mm-hmm. there's these apps for the individuals if they find themselves becoming depressed or whatever, you know, that you can use uh, as an intervention, but what about everyone surrounding what about acknowledgement of them letting them know this is a situation that may be brewing so that they're there to help and that's what i really loved about your group because you brought in the out people outside the veteran right and
4: i i think again that's probably going to be my theme as i you know tear my way through the college of public health for the (laughs) next three years but I think that the connections, like we, we all focus on our specialties, we all are very dedicated, um, you know, passion is our, pra- you know, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. but then you kind of, um, there's a waffle versus a spaghetti model that I usually see referred to in gender, that you look for your your mm-hmm. own little silo, your own mm-hmm. little waffle square, sure. or you you look for the connections. And mm-hmm. I think that what the bootcamp did, I think what we learned to do with our app and, and our idea, was that you're not just solving a problem, first of all, you're dealing with a person. right? And that person 100%. is connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you deal with the connections, which, you know, across buildings, across campus, across silos, across disciplines, across families, that you don't look at the, you know, oh, there was this PTSD that we are now going to extract from the veteran, right? right? But you also, the family is suffering. Mm-hmm. So you're not looking at them like, mm-hmm. fix him, usually him, you know, yeah. Yeah. but how do, what help do you need? And so, yes. I think. Resources that, that you need. Yeah. So, how, mm-hmm. how do we bring. You know, I, I'm trained as an EMT, although I never worked as one, but you never bring more people. You know, don't bring more victims to the accident, mm-hmm. right? Bring mm-hmm. resources. Mm-hmm. So, if you have this center and you know, you know, the center of this family, they're in pain. It's not just the first line of defense. That family isn't like, okay, go fix him, mm-hmm. right? But it's like, okay, how do we bring resources to you? And then you can bring resources into them. Yeah. And I think that the College of Public Health in Anthro of all the specialties I've been in are good at ethnography, mm-hmm. are good at mm-hmm. withdrawing what a patient needs mm-hmm. um, in mm-hmm. their own, and then, you know, kind of doing what they don't say as well, right? Like, right. what do you think you need? And then what do we exactly? Make. But if you don't treat a community, a town, <laughs> a county, yeah. the whole, if you don't, right, if you, if you, yeah. you know, okay, I solved that. It's kind of like putting a, a bandaid on a child in a burning building. Mm-hmm. Good job. <laughs> you know, so I think that they <laughs> address the larger yeah, exactly. issue out there. Yeah. So stream. So, yeah, we came up with an intervention. Um, we came up with it very rapidly that had been done before. That can obviously be done that Johnny Crowder with Cote Notes is doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. we, we know this works. And it's just like when I got that psych degree and I was like, OK, so we know this works. And then there's the long talk about long haul of getting it Getting the political getting well, getting political the political well. Right. Yes. So it's not that these things aren't known. And I think that the boot camp taught me those two things, that we have incredible Fantastic. people in the area. Mm-hmm. We need to bring them together. Mm-hmm. Um, Community based problems. And then the frustration. How do you how do you snowplow into the actual pushing of policy? Yeah. And so that um, was amazing to see that that happens every year, and that's actually being addressed. So
1: very good. Thank thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll double back. We'll we'll be back. I want to hear from Rolando. I know you're still there with us, Rolando. What about you? Do you have some questions for our guests?
5: Of course. After those insightful responses, um, (laughs) there are millions of questions that pop my mind. Um, But I would like to um, give an opportunity to Dr. Galliot speak on what has been already discussed a little bit and the importance of cultural and community-based and um, a a mental health approach that actually understands the intersectionality of the human experience and how can we move forward to advocating as individuals and as communities to ensure that everything that is done in the realm of mental health prevention, intervention, and um, care can be um, integrated of those uh, multiple levels of identities? Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a big question. <laughs> um, I have tons yes. going uh, through my head. Thanks for that. R- Rolando, and, and by the way, Jinx, I think maybe your next degree should be social work. Yeah. Uh, One oh. you know, really more t- masters. <laughs> <with your laughs> I'm not going to catch up with you. Because what you're talking about is an ecological perspective. Mm-hmm. You're, what mm-hmm. you're talking about Definitely. is it's not just about the individual. It's not just the micro. It's the mezzo. It's their family. It's their schools. It's the neighborhood. Uh, it's the community. You know, And then it's policy, mm-hmm. of course. Um, the other thing that I, uh, I just want to... Uh, circle back on is, is that it takes about 20 years for an, an effective innovation to That's really true. be fully disseminated. And um, and, and, and so, uh, as, uh, as, you, as you know, I have, I have my lab, and it's called the Access Lab, because my focus really is, is that I believe the interventions exist. They may not be perfect, and we can always improve them. Um, the issue here is really is how do we make them accessible? Um, where are the on-ramps to these? And they can't, uh, as you point out, they can't just be through physicians, right? Um, and, and people are all, you know, there's always new people coming online. There's always new awareness and consciousness. So it's always gonna be a training issue mm-hmm. no, matter, m- no matter what, and education. So um, Rolando, to kind of more specifically answer your question, um, um, oh, and by the way, seven students per week on this campus are um, what we call in Florida "baker acted." That's because that's the blunt force instrument right. that exists, right? Um, you know, and I'm not—I'm just put putting that statistic out there—that um, not just to point out that the morbidity exists, but that we—I'm quite certain, without knowing the specifics of these cases, that these seven students per week on this campus mm-hmm. really don't need to be in a psychiatric board. But that's. The system we have, right, Um, right, and there may be other lower intensity interventions, and so um, getting so getting back to your getting back to your question, I firmly believe that health, whether it's mental health, uh, physical health, spiritual health, begins at the home, in the family, in the communities, and um, what I believe um, is is that the whereas we do have um, some uh, broad you know, cultural awareness of physical health. You know, we know that it's, you know, good to eat vegetables. We know that it's good to get exercise. I walk into Publix and what do I see? A scale. That tells me that managing (laughs) my weight is probably a good thing. Um, yeah, but, but
1: then you <laughs> see the crackers and then all the you see, cakes okay, well, that's and that. A, see, that's, that's an issue right, right there. Right at the right? front door, right? right? at the front door, right. Right within five feet of the scale, yes, right? Yes, yes.
0: Um, but I guess my point is is that I don't see the same with mental health. We just don't right. have the same. It just hasn't permeated mm-hmm. our general awareness. And we tend to have, um, and this can be the said uh, pro- the same for many health issues, is that we have a tendency to treat the problem as opposed to preventing it in the first place. Um, I was thinking while you were talking, Jinx, that um, many of the interventions that I talk about are called low intensity. Mm -hmm. Um, And these include things like universal education on mental health, universal screening. Um, I was reading an article um, in Dutch uh, about how in Denmark, um, children, so elementary school children, are taught mindfulness and slow breathing yes. as a frontline um, anxiety intervention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, here, uh, you know, that's not the case. Um, yeah, I do that with all my students and all my classes. Right. Um, it's one of the things that I teach regardless. I could be teaching public policy, and I teach that. And so, um, Rolando, so what I'm getting at by, by, by this is to say that these interventions exist. They can be adapted um, they can and, and they should be, you know, um, you know, culturally adapted. But the interventions exist. What is lacking are um, is a, in the field I'm specifically in is in global mental health, which is not doesn't mean international. It means global mental health as a field, which emerged in 2007, is a mashup between mental health and public health. So we look mm-hmm. at how do we expand mental health services from the, from the lowest on the pyramid, you know, education, screening, self-help, um, and scaling that up to, to uh, access to, uh, you know, mental health professionals mm-hmm. um, as needed. My belief is, is that many, m- much of the mental health morbidity could be addressed through existing low, lower intensity interventions that can be ad- adapted and delivered by community members, right. so um, it's a it's a big you know it's a big question it's a big uh, issue, but it's not insurmountable, um, right? You know, right. I it's mean,
1: just having the
3: yeah. What are
0: you know? Diff- You've heard me say this before. Yeah. What is the mental health equivalent at, equivalent to uh, you know sunscreen and yeah. um, bug spray, mm-hmm. this sort of thing?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And could you speak, uh, Dr. Galia, to also uh, some of your research as it relates to what Ivory talked about, what Jinx talked about in terms of their interventions? Mm-hmm. And um, I was just thinking about what you said with involvement of community mm-hmm. and persons. You know, when you look at Ivory's issue, she's saying, look, we need to, we need to uh, have individuals have more access to mental health professionals. Right. But maybe if we knew those processes, right? If yeah. lay people knew how to intervene, yeah. maybe that would decrease a bit, right?
0: I, I, you know, I totally agree. I mean, I th- I think I already mentioned um, uh, a statistic about the number of uh, mental health professionals. Um, in most of the world, there is less than, say, one psychiatrist per 100,000 people. Right. We, we right. won't actually... Be able to train enough people to keep up with the burden, right. you know, like, like have specialized mental health services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, what I am advocating for, and what the field of global mental health advocates for, is really a pyramid. So, if you think of a pyramid where the 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 the, the, the you know the base is larger than the tip, mm-hmm. the first layer of that pyramid would be things like screening and education. Those are frontline services, yeah. frontline things. And then as the person, if, if the person's not responding or if, or if the, um, you know, this di- the distress persists, then you move your way up in this kind of stepped care mm-hmm. fashion mm-hmm. where you're really reserving your specialized services for um, the most severe cases, the yeah. most, you know, and it's, if you think about, it, you know, even when I had COVID, I never went to the hospital. I treated mm-hmm. myself with NyQuil ibuprofen and Netflix, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> um, and, and I rested and, and, but I knew that if I started to have like right. respiratory distress, right. that was you the would, time that was the trigger to, yeah. you know, but we don't really have that consciousness in mental health, right? If either don't. we don't recognize that the distress exists in the first place or we call it something else, or, like,
1: or we just, or we ignore it, it we ignore it, we put
0: it aside, we just say, oh, I got to
1: be stronger. I got to get know, through this. I got to be tougher. Yeah,
0: um, and this is particularly robust in uh, military, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, culture, mm-hmm. police, mm-hmm. medicine, mm-hmm. Um, the helping c- professions. The helping professions, yes. which is ironic, uh-huh. um, but I- you know, in, in say in medicine, there's a lot of emphasis placed on you know if you're feeling distressed, reach out. But guess what? If your license is on the line, That's you're right. going to be less likely to That's say right. something. And That's so there's right. there's yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. or carrying a weapon, or whatever. So, um, so what I have been really focused on in my research, um, along with uh, I know Johnny, by the way, he, oh, worked in he? some studies, yeah, <laughs> uh, with Dr. Kasilik in the co- uh, in, in the College of, of uh, Behavioral and Community Sciences, is really trying to work in the um, the I would say the the base of this pyramid I've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Where we use technology, in our case, we're uh, we have a number of chat, chat bots that we're mm-hmm. developing mm-hmm. that allows people. Um, we we call it kind of like a digital concierge. Tell me a little bit about yourself, your right. background. Uh-huh. Um, tell me about your preferences. Um, do you, you know? Do you want to talk about talk to a human? Do you not want to? And let me measure your distress, and then I'll offer some options. Which, um, yeah. Some people say, well, why don't you just Google it? Well. The last time I Googled mental health, I got 5 million <laughs> responses in, you know, 0. And where to seconds. start. Yes. And where to start. Yeah. And so what we're doing is really trying to tailor our responses to, to people, meeting them where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, In my own clinical work, I really work with my clients to say, look, just in the same way that your body, if you stay in bed all the time, your body becomes inflexible and rigid and it's kind of painful to move. Our minds can be the same. Mm-hmm. When we have kind of, Inflexibility in our minds, um, we perceive pain much more. Right. And so the so really what we want to do is provide options mm-hmm. and flexibility. Mm-hmm. And so what our chatbots do, and it, this is only one way to do it, is to really help the person move away from all or none thinking, mm-hmm. to really looking at what are all the options here. Right. What are the better ones? What are the less, you know, good mm-hmm. options? Mm-hmm. And then what are a few small things that we can do to kind of help move uh flexibility yeah. that could be self-help mm-hmm. that could be talking to a peer um that could be uh pharmacological interventions right they're not for everybody just
1: sometimes needed it. Yes. They,
0: but people um can really benefit from them mm-hmm. um and that can also involve you know there's a lot of other uh therapies but but really what the point is is moving from i can't do anything yes. to maybe uh, there are some options yes and then to address the the second question um I I see this is being done in over a hundred different countries, but not in the US for the most part, is training cadres of lay people yes. in evidence based interventions. Mm-hmm. They exist, mm-hmm. they work. Mm-hmm. They're not the panacea for all mental distress, but neither are, you know, band-aids for all wounds. But they sure <laughs> Do a good job for you know most. I mean, you've heard me talk in the previous po- podcast, right? What is a mental health equivalent for the nicks and bruises, mm-hmm. and you know I'm chopping an onion and I, I cut right. myself, but I'm not, you know, I didn't chop my finger off. Like, what are what are those front line? We don't know. We don't have those. Right. They exist. Right. They just haven't been disseminated. Yeah. And so I would be I would be really thinking about you know I was in Peru last week. Uh, oh, okay. For three days, okay. Um, post COVID, well, I won't say post COVID, but yeah. at a point yeah, where I could finally travel. Along, you could travel, yeah. And um, I met with um, uh, patients um, and community health workers mm-hmm. um, to see how the programs are going. And we, because we use uh, evidence based interventions, we teach. Women, uh, mo- it turns out it's mostly women that want to volunteer in this. Um, it's the same as social work. Mm-hmm, right, um, right. But whatever the case, uh, they have maybe a high school education, right. how to deliver uh, depression interventions. And we know Which that it works fantastic. because we measure the depression right. in, in the patient. Right, because you're
1: measuring before and right. after.
0: And yeah. if it doesn't work, we move it up a step and we connect them right. with a community, you know, other, you so know, important. Uh, other uh, interventions that are at a higher intensity. Yeah. Why aren't we doing that in, in the in, in the U.S.? Um,
1: tell, I mean, it, there are Dr. lots of reasons. Lots of reasons. I'll tell you, Dr. Galley, I think I asked you this on the last podcast. Yeah. I think every time I see you, I ask you this. <laughs> and we don't know. Why in this day and age, after all we've learned and all we know, and now we've got the chatbots and we've got yeah. all these great things out there, why is it still mental health? Yeah. You know, such a stigma, so stigmatized, it's so different, still I mean, we've come a long way. I understand. We, have. we really, we really have. have. It's not like nothing has happened. I mean, we certainly have, and certainly information is out there. But I think still, we have so much to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think partly it's because uh, we're not, the U.S. culture is not a collectivist culture. It's it's that's it's true. A fairly individual, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, individual results may vary, and um, but but in general, we're not a collectivist culture, and. Uh, and our approach to solving problems is typically much more in individual. individual right um, and it has its merit you know mm-hmm. we all we do have really good medical care if you can access it
1: yes that's um, a whole nother you know that a might whole, be a whole nother podcast. that's a whole nother podcast yeah. um, <laughs> on, on access to care
0: I guess what I would say is is that I would I would like um, to see us expand mm-hmm. um to have both, have really good individualized precision care, but also have really good collectivist care. Yes. Um, and really, yes. really change a, a, a culture of care that says, hey, I'm looking out for my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking out. Yes. And we, you know, I mean, I don't, I also don't want to be black and white. I do know there are really good examples of where this is starting to take off. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. a, a call with a uh, A major insurance carrier, I'll say, Mm -hmm. uh, from another state yesterday, that's looking to do this at a community level, really to boost mental health using uh, uh, lay care uh, or lay people to deliver care. So it's starting to bud. Starting, yeah. Interestingly, a lot of the global mental health work um, comes from U.S.-based investigators Mm -hmm. that are working Mm -hmm. outside of the U.S. And we've been really trying to make the case that look at global oh. health. Really, the U.S. is part of you know, right the planet, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and many of these solutions that we're using in low and middle income countries mm-hmm. could be imported back to the yes, U.S. and to the U.S. and used yeah. here. Yeah. yeah, and used here. Oh my gosh! Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Wait,
1: I mean, we could just talk for uh, so. I mean, I you know. know, we could just talk forever and ever on this. But, but what I'd like to do now, I'd like to ask Rolando. Ivory and Jinx, what are the feelings of students and young professionals on the state of mental health in the US and what needs to change? Young individuals have been the drivers of so much public health advocacy and change recently. If we look at racism and gun violence, March for Our Lives, all these things started by very, very young individuals, even folks in high school. The Activist Lab is now actually working with a high school and a middle school in the area to introduce these students to advocacy and how to be advocates. But what about mental health? What do you all think about where the direction of that is with these individuals. And, and let me start with Rolando.
5: That is such an important question. Thank you so much, Jotaro. I think a lot of what has to be done does not depend on our notion, as only on our notions as individuals of what we can do, but rather um, what we can be collectively. I think this digital era and the um new pressures to not only be able to fit in in a physical environment and in a collective environment, but also in a digital environment has added pressure to um individuals and communities to really be able to connect in a deep and meaningful way. And vulnerability um has become something that is not granted easily. So in that sense, I believe that what young people can do is to push the barriers against um, non-vulnerable communication and to have deep, honest conversations of their individual experiences. Um, There's no way that we can have personalized medicine or collective medicine. We're not able to really just talk about the needs and realities that are so diverse among subpopulations populations and communities. So we have to be honest with ourselves and with our communities about what we need and what we want to see done. Mm-hmm. Thank and, you.
1: And you think young people right now, people let's say your age uh, or young professionals are poised to do this, maybe more so than my generation?
5: I think they are more vocal. Uh huh. I believe that this generation has voiced a lot of um, historical concerns that have been on the table for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just that they have voiced their concerns because they believe in the possibility of change. So now navigating physical and digital environments to create change in a way that does not leave anyone behind, it's going to be a great challenge. And I do think right. that we are supposed to do it. Mm-hmm.
1: I have great faith in you. Uh, Ivory, what do you think about where are students and young professionals when it comes to the state of mental health in the U.S. and what needs to be done?
2: Yeah, um, well, I think, of course, apart from the obvious problem of improving access that we talked about already, you touched on it with your question to Dr. Galea, but just addressing the stigma that still surrounds Yes. about our, you know, mental mental health services. And mm-hmm. um, in one of the interviews that I had with one of those healthcare practitioners, she talked about even in the midst of the pandemic, there was there were concerns among staff in terms of going to administration to ask for time off because they felt blown out. And if that, even in the pandemic that heightened awareness around this, there was still a concern about, you know, the stigma attached to that. Yes. You know, that speaks to a, a serious mm-hmm. problem. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So this is why I really love that, you know, healthy people objective around improving access to right. preventive mental health care. Um, I think we need to normalize, you know, dealing with mental health concerns the point where seeing a therapist is as normal as going to the grocery store. You know, it's, it's, yes. it's nothing that's 100%. out of the ordinary. Right. And then finally, in terms of one of my colleagues in, my, in our group project, she made the point that the health care system is built on acute care, not prevention. And I think in particular, mm-hmm. there's this increased awareness with our population of public health practitioners only the need for prevention, you know, on focusing yes. on prevention. And I really think that there needs to be greater focus on, on you know, focusing on, on preventative measures. And I mean, we talked about the fact that there are so many people who have to deal with, challenging situations that may not be in the category of diagnosed with anxiety or diagnosed with depression, but you're going to encounter challenges in your everyday life. And I feel like everybody should have a toolkit of coping Everyone. strategies that they can call on yes. to reduce the incidence of you know, these mental health conditions in the first place. So I think right. just that awareness around prevention, I think we, we are poised to really try to change the way of life or the culture around mm-hmm. how we, we address mental health issues.
1: And and I have great faith in the younger population to do this because this is more and more out there. You know, I always think <laughs> people take vitamins every day for our physical health. Well, what do we do every day for our mental health? You know, that's part of health. Exactly. Health is not just exactly. physical health, as we like to say, you know, in public health. It's so much more
0: distress tolerance. Abs- yeah, because abs- even absolutely.
1: from a perspective, uh,
2: absolutely. I started doing yeah. meditating and doing deep breathing on a daily basis, and that has helped immensely, you know. So yes. That's my daily vitamin. You know? There you go. So there you go. Should have that. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Well, thank you, Ivory
1: Jinx. All right, young professionals, folks like you, getting more degrees out there on the forefront. So, what are you going to do about this status of mental health?
4: Um, well, I'm 44, so I don't know if I can speak to ah, It's a young right. professional, you yeah. uh, but, but young, and
1: you're you know beginning your your also what I'm, you're doing. I'm paying
4: a lot of grad tuition, so I'm yeah. not even a professional at this point. Yeah, yeah, professional well. but um, what as I have this outsider point of view, and I'm listening to people like Ivory who speaks so eloquently mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. you know i've got these points i've got this mission and this is what we should do mm-hmm. and she's rock solid on it you know dr mm-hmm. glea you rock right. solid on their stuff and i'm sitting there thinking okay well you know what message would i craft right it was it was really funny watching me in a, a policy room with congresswoman Gaster. Mm-hmm. and i'm just like um i have a lot of lived experience and mm-hmm. it is finding its way into these channels mm-hmm. and figuring mm-hmm. out how to craft that so Like, I I was on lockdown, you know, we're talking about going to Peru or whatnot, but I was on lockdown in a transitional facility for homeless people. Uh I got It was like hot potato, and, like, I was in this transitional facility in a field placement um, working with homeless vets, and then it's like, go, right? Right. Executive director takes off one direction, I'm there with 100 felons, homeless people, and sex offenders. Okay. You're going to leave, or you're going to do something about it, right? Mm -hmm. And I stayed and I actually okay. lost I was a professor in the first month of being a professor I lost mm-hmm. that job because I you know couldn't travel all these mm-hmm. so what that lived experience of being in a room and I'm I'm writing this down the the stigma the mental health the, the this and that the access you have to have something to access it needs to be built it needs to be funded it needs to have the political will to to do all these things right mm-hmm. right it's really easy in this culture to be divided and say oh well mm-hmm. they don't understand It's the they that's the problem, the them versus us, right? So Mm -hmm. these these connections Mm -hmm. keep talking about. Mm -hmm. So you talk to both sides and you listen with that ethnography, Mm -hmm. or when I get my 20th degree and it's in social work (laughs) and I learn how to be a clinician. But you listen and you say, okay, what's what's needed here? And then the the anthro part or the cultural part comes in. Like, you know, people say, well, why did your fiance kill himself? because we have these answers. Why didn't he go get the answers? Because he's military intelligence. Mm-hmm. Now, if you grow up in a military culture, you know what that means. He mm-hmm. would lose his top secret security sure. clearance, lose his job, then be sure. possibly dishonorably discharged. Sure. So the reason he can't walk two blocks to that building right. and get that help is right. because everything would collapse that he'd worked for up to that point. Mm-hmm. So the the bridge that I started looking at, so he's like, do I, do I go, he was 82nd Airborne. He's that military intelligence do I go on the next deployment, because the last one to Afghanistan really rocked me, and I haven't gotten treatment for that, because right. I can't, right, I can't get treatment. And that's a, that is access to information. There right. were ways he could right. have gotten treatment sure. that were unknown to him. Unknown right?
1: to him. But some of the things that Dr. Golly is talking about with the rod right. and some of those kinds right. of things, you and wish so, you yeah, could this, have had that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This vault
4: of information. Right. And that, that is what. You that's know, what's there. That, that's what bothers yeah. me is that we have it. We're smart. Mm-hmm. We've been doing this. We have the practitioners. Mm-hmm. But you kind of have to bank shot off another country or you have to bank shot off a different field. Mm-hmm. Right. And then bring it bring it yeah. back. That's the part we need to, that's the, your, your
1: generation, if you want to call it a
4: generation
1: or a group or whatever. Uh, people new to the field, people coming out with degrees. That's what we have to get our arms around, right? That's the now what. We got to move the needle. We got to keep going forward. Um, gosh, I wish we had more time to continue this podcast because once again, we could go on and on and on. Um, But I would like to tell the listeners that the entire boot camp's audio that we just had and materials are posted on the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab website. So please listen. And you can hear previous boot camps as well. And please come to our boot camp next year. Look for announcements coming out soon. It'll be January 27th, 2023, and the topic appropriately will be global health. So thank you so much, everyone. On behalf of the USF College of Public Health Activist Lab, our wonderful guests, Ivory, Jinx, and Dr. Gallia, of course, and student co-host, Rolando, we thank you for joining us. And hey, keep listening. We have more podcasts coming soon. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know how we did by emailing us at cophactivistlab@usf.edu. at usf.edu. So until next time, hey, this is Dr. Karen Liller. Remember, find your voice. Let's change it up for the better. Keep listening and join Advocation Change It Up. Tell your friends and family. We're on all media, Apple, Spotify, and more. Thank you again. And hey, as it gets safer to be out and about, come see us in the Activist Lab.